Hello again, I'm Brandon Dawson, and this is The Distiller. My guest for this episode is Tamaya Denard. In late 2017, Tamaya came pretty much out of nowhere to win a seat on the Cincinnati City Council. She placed sixth out of the nine candidates elected with almost no budget, not running any TV advertising, and pretty much previously unknown on the political landscape. And lest you think this episode is just about Cincinnati, this is a story that's echoing U.S. politics across the board. As a gay African-American woman, Tamaya represents a combination of some of the most marginalized populations in our society. She also represents a combination of the populations most active in changing the status quo. And as we discussed, it may just be black women who save this country from destruction. Tamaya and I met at Wavepool Gallery in Cincinnati's Camp Washington neighborhood, where owner Cal Curran showed us around the space, and we talked a little bit about the programs Wavepool offers. We're in an old firehouse in Camp Washington, and um, my husband and I started this space three years ago. We're okay. a nonprofit art center. Um, we really focus on experimental contemporary art that can be used as a catalyst for positive social change. So. Uh, we take that pretty far. We have a gallery space, which is pretty traditional, but our residency program, we bring in artists from all over the world um, to live here and do projects with the community. So they've worked with the Correctional Center, with the Community Council, <laughs> with um, the Urban Farm. We started a project next door called the Welcome Project, which is a collaboration between us and Heartfelt Tidbits, a refugee service organization, uh, to basically work on entrepreneurial skills and crafting skills, and there wow. will be food soon. So um, kind of, I mean, my belief is that contemporary art can be really experimental and really provocative, but also serve a greater good. And so that's what Wavepool aims to do. For more information on Wavepool, check out wavepoolgallery.org. And thanks again to Cal for hosting us. And with that, we started our conversation by talking about Tamaya's recent Cincinnati City Council win. Tamaya, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you for having me, and thank you to Cal for opening up her space. Yeah, definitely. When we first talked to you about coming on the podcast, the election hadn't happened yet. No. Um, it was after. It was before the end of the year. Uh, it was, I guess, back in October and November. Um, things were looking good for you, uh -huh. but there was no certainty that you were going to win a seat on the city council. Turns out you came in sixth of nine candidates, kind of surprised some people. Yeah. Like you had a powerful candidacy. You put together a really nice campaign. Thank you. You and I talked a little bit before that, and I think like I didn't want to say you know, hey, it really seems like you're going to win, yeah. but I was doing everything I could, which I think everybody else was, to say, man, it looks really good. And I, do you feel like you shocked maybe is a strong word? You certainly surprised some people with how many votes you got. We definitely shocked some folks because good. we didn't have enough money to go on television, which is usually, you know, people think, oh, if you go on television because you can reach more people, you can certainly win. But our campaign, thanks to an amazing campaign team, showed that uh, grassroots was where it was at. We knocked on over 34,000 doors, and that was wow. the equalizer. Uh, so the, the money that it took to you know, go on to, to television, we didn't have it, but we definitely made it up for uh, you know, interacting with voters in a lot of different ways, in very traditional ways, but also in a lot of non-traditional ways. Right on. So let me, for people that don't live in Cincinnati, for people that may be listening to this a year from now, we're mm -hmm. talking about the 2017 Cincinnati City Council election. I want to get too far uh, ahead of ourselves. And this is, uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording, not a political podcast, a podcast about work. Mm -hmm. I would be interested in hearing that story from you, regardless of whether you had won. Yeah. Um, I am super interested in hearing 
from you with your past, um, with everything that you've gone through, how you have ended up where you are. So while I'm glad you won and I'm happy for you, I'm super happy for you on a personal level, I'm no more or less interested in your story because you're, you're on the city council. I think it adds an interesting element to what, you do, what, we're, what you're doing now and what we're going to be talking about. Um, you started out, if I understand, you got a business degree from the University of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. You started out in, in real estate, not yeah. in politics or public service. Right. I, worked for, uh, I have 10 years of real estate experience. Uh, the last part of that was working at Duke Energy mm -hmm. in the real estate department. And uh, that was about um, uh, 2010, 2011. Okay. And then uh, met uh, P.G. Sittenfeld, who was, uh, he and I volunteered together at the Free Star Food Bank. Uh, they had a YP board. And I was making pretty good money at Duke, but I wasn't feeling yeah. satisfied in what I was doing. I started volunteering on his first campaign. Okay. We won, and then you know, kind of the rest kind of kind of dovetailed into enrolling into a career. This into a career. Right on. So that was going to be my. I mean, that's kind of the main question: is how do you go from deciding that you're going to work in in real estate to a really powerful now developing career? Because you went, you worked for, for PG on his initial city council campaign. Yeah. You worked with him on his, uh, what I hope is his first Senate campaign and not his last Senate mm -hmm. campaign. Um, and then actually became a member of his staff. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about that, what you did in, in that staff. Well, I always was interested, no matter where, what I was doing, I was always interested in social change. Mm -hmm. A lot of it had to do with how I grew up. You know, I grew up here in Cincinnati. Uh, born and raised, my mom raised me and my two brothers, mm -hmm. and we were the recipients of a lot of, uh, you know, public assistance. We were the recipient of, you know, free health clinics, and for me, it wasn't just about taking advantage of that. It was making sure that those things were in place for other people. So mm -hmm. while politics wasn't always my career, I always knew that those things need to be in place. I don't know if I would be a Cincinnati City Council member had it not been for those safety nets. For, so for people who don't think that safety nets matter, or don't think you should fund health clinics, or don't think that you should be funding food stamps uh, and programs and free programs for young people. You know, I am saying, you know, here uh, that, you know, uh, firsthand that these programs work. So for me, it wasn't just about, hey, let's switch, switch careers. It was about, you know, I'm here and I want to not necessarily give back because a lot of people say that, but I wanted to demonstrate and show what it meant to be the embodiment for those things to come together for those systems to work you know my mom still you know works uh, she, you know she's been at the same place uh, for 27 years uh, she stands on her feet right now the, the place that she works now was the only place that offered her a job the last time she got out of jail mm -hmm. they gave her an opportunity and she's been there ever since so 27 years wow my story is um is not uh it's not actually um it's 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 common mm -hmm. uh, but for a lot of people who come from where I come from stop short of getting involved in politics. Yeah. And we can talk about why that is. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, but a lot of times people don't look at politics and they don't see themselves. And so I wanted to do this so that people could actually see themselves and see someone who came from the same places that they come from. I don't have a, uh, you know, a political name. There are political names here in Cincinnati. Yeah. So another reason why we shock people, because we kind of came out of nowhere. I don't have, I didn't have a household name to my Denard isn't something that rolls off the tongue well, very readily in Cincinnati. You didn't but, have a household name. You're, but you're I'm rapidly hoping to change that one. for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that I mean, all of that points to what I'm what I'm sort of most excited to talk to you about because when people talk about work, typically it's a couple of different things they're talking about. They're talking about first of all the the economic realities. Mm -hmm. People think of work, you know, as I got to pay the bills, and then once you get sort of on that hierarchy of needs, once you feel like you have 
whatever allows you to do that, then maybe, maybe people get to start talking about meaning and purpose and all of that. But for a lot of people, that's a pretty privileged discussion. Mm -hmm. You came from, you've, there are other interviews, you know, your, your history, you've talked about your mom had um, spent some time in prison. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you said is that you held on to, she told you, pay attention to what could be or look at what could be mm -hmm. and not what is. Yeah. Um, I'm super interested in knowing like why that resonated with you because that's a, a lot of parents might say that to their kids. A lot mm -hmm. of kids might not hear it or might not grab onto it. Mm -hmm. Coming from, you've said, uh, I think in another interview that I read, you said you literally came from nothing. I mean, you've dealt with, people talk about childhood poverty, just poverty. Um, and you came from a really troubled household where your mom, as you said, was sort of in and out. Why did you grab hold of that message in a way that it actually inspired you to, I, to do something else? I would say that my mom, she did a heck of a job raising me. My mom is amazing. And what I had difficulty with when I was younger is reconciling the fact that you're always told that bad people go to jail. Mm -hmm. But I knew my mom wasn't a bad person. And yep. she did a heck of a job uh, raising me. But so she did the very best job that she could. And for me, this whole thing has been about mission um, and, and where it kind of takes you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I started out working in, in politics as a career, um, you know, after PG won the first election, he had offered me a job. I told him no. And Why? Um, because I was making a lot of money at Duke. Okay. And he showed me what the salary would be at Cincinnati. <laughs> I was like, I've been poor my whole life. I don't really want to do that again. Yeah. But... I changed my mind, and by the time I changed my mind, he only had fourteen thousand dollars left in his uh, his budget yeah. for a staff at City Hall. So it was even less than what it was he originally. It was way you. less than I than he originally um, offered, but I took it mm -hmm. because, on the course of the campaign, I get I couldn't get away from the fact that we were talking to people in a way that they hadn't been uh, spoken to traditionally. Mm -hmm. uh, politics had become so transactional that I really wanted to to change it. And one thing that I kept going back to is, you know, as much as I could stay behind the scenes and be an operative, ultimately what I understood is that you, you have to be in the room to change the room. And so if I don't get in there, it's kind of like, if not me, who type deal. And that's yeah. really what it boiled down to for me. So, you know, while I did have um, some, some trouble spots in my childhood, overall, um, I had an amazing childhood and I really wanted to, again, just show, I remember the year that we, the PG jumped into the race, just that earlier, a few months before that, city council had voted to close the health clinics mm -hmm. in Cincinnati. And that really resonated with me because that's where I went for my physicals and my, my checkups and things like that. So I had to jump in there because, yeah, people can advocate for um, health clinics, and that's great. But people who are most impacted by something have to be the ones that help you design your way out of something. Yeah. And so that's my personal belief. That's my personal philosophy. But one thing about the process of running for office is that is one that begs so much privilege mm -hmm. that oftentimes people are trying to solve things that they've never actually experienced right. themselves. And yeah. so that's another thing I felt what's well, differentiator for me and other candidates, even though their hearts are in the right place, they don't really know what it's like. And so ultimately you end up with a lot of band-aid solutions because they don't really know what's really happening. And so um, when I thought about the mission or I like to call it my journey, mm -hmm. um, you know, making $14,000 wasn't something that, you know, was a part of that initially, yeah. but it was the smartest and dumbest thing I've done to get to this point. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is it seems like there is a, a, a rising tide of cultural awareness 
in a lot of issues of inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, the day that we're recording this podcast on, the, I think the Golden Globes are tonight, and there's mm-hmm. a big movement around people wearing black to raise awareness for the Time's Up movement, which is sort of an extension of like the Me Too movement that's mm-hmm. coming out, and a lot of awareness of um, gender inequality issues, and there's great stuff going on. The, my point is that for the people who need to hear that most, the people who generally run and hold the positions, uh, uh, run for office and hold the positions of power, the education that is necessary in order to get people culturally to understand what it takes to overcome what you have overcome is a difficult process. It's a difficult question to ask, even for me to frame that question for you. Like, I wanna know, typically I ask people on this podcast, "Tell tell me what you do for work. Tell me what your day is like. I know what your job title is. Mm -hmm. For you, part of what I want to understand is I know that I have very little capacity to understand the challenges that you faced to come from where you have come to where you are. Mm -hmm. And I want to know more about that. Like I literally want to know, um, you know, uh, in terms of if, if, how do I say this? Just, just being real honest. Like if you and I had come from the different, from different places because of who we are, Mm -hmm. society would have given me advantages that it didn't give to you. Absolutely. That I would have been completely unaware of no matter how much I try to come up with them on my own. Yeah. I kind of want to know for the listeners and for myself, like I want to get a vision into what it has taken for you to, to overcome all of that stuff that people generally don't even know that you had to, to face. It actually becomes almost subconscious because I'm so used to dealing with it. I've never not dealt with it, even talking about the campaign. Mm -hmm. um, You know, we raised a good amount of money, but African-American women don't generally raise money running for office. That's because we don't have the the social capital. The network. The network to do so. So for me, I can't tell you, like, you know, how do you become aware? Only thing I can say is listen, Mm -hmm. uh, be open to understanding that um, there's varying degrees of privilege. Yeah. What I try to do in talking about that, because there's privilege that you have, but I also understand there's privilege that I have as well. Mm. You know, even though, you know, my mom was locked up, I still have my grandmother. There are still plenty of people who their parents go to, to, to jail or prison and they don't have anybody. Sure. So I always try to recognize what my privilege is. At the same, same time, I'm always looking to educate. Um, you know, when we did our swearing in this week, um, I had my red folding chair. Yeah, I was going to ring that up. And that was something that, for me, a lot of people, and I took advantage of the moment. I was in a room with people, some of whom knew who I was, some didn't. And I talked about, you know, when you're, uh, the, only, when you're, when you're the majority in the room, if you're, everybody in the room is white, yep. that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so I try to educate, uh, not berate or beat people over the head with it because, it, you know, they're going to cut you off and, and not listen. But if I go into a room... Uh, and it's full of people at, say, I'm going to Chamber of Commerce. And mm-hmm. I know just, you know, history tells me that room is mostly going to be white men. Just yeah. because, you know, I don't, I have to talk about privilege, but I don't lead with that because mm-hmm. if I lead with that, even though it's true, mm-hmm. I can't lead with it because then I'll, the, the room will not listen to what I have to say. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I try to take advantage to educate. And, and at the same time, I'm always trying to be educated and learn because we've all evolved um, in terms of our social awareness and our social consciousness. But my goal is always to educate. So I tell people all the time, I'm a, I love, I'm a social justice warrior. I love a good protest. But at the end of the day, is your goal to demonize or is your goal to move the ball forward? Is it to move the needle? And so if your goal is to move the ball, the, the ball forward or move the needle, then 
you are going to take a stance of education as opposed to just, you know, insults and telling people, you know, they're racist or they're bigots or, or whatever. So I think a lot about, you know, my approach mm-hmm. and, you know, how I say things, when I say things and, the, you know, the way I deliver things. In, in the things that you've done, because I, that's not going to be only true of, the, of your political career. That mm-hmm. had to have been true of educational career, getting your initial jobs at, at Duke Energy. Um, has, it, has it escalated or is it, you said it's sort of like, um, and I understand that, like mm-hmm. you said, it's basically just part of your process right now. It's just the landscape that you deal with. It's, I, I mean, that's, it's all I know. Yeah, so at this right, point, right. I'm, 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 I'm happy the fact that people are open to learning more. You know, you talked a little bit earlier about the Me Too movement and people wearing black. But, mm-hmm. you know, three or four years ago, we were dealing with Oscar So White. So it's yep. just, there's these, con, these, these movements to really uh, change. I mean, the, the, the privilege that people don't, when they hear the word privilege, they automatically think that they didn't work hard or someone's trying to, you know, take something sure. from them. And that's not what privilege is. I mean, we're, you know, privileged in so many different ways. So it's, again, it's about educating people. You know, I'm, and I'm, I'm black, I'm a woman, I'm gay, I come from a, back, a really um, a diverse background, uh, mm-hmm. uh, poverty. So there's a lot of intersections, a lot of identities I hold. And so I always try to um, give grace when I'm interacting with people because they may have not, they may not have interacted with people who are like me. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati is, I think, the fifth most segregated city in the country, which is crazy to think right. about. But it's true. So I always say that you may not be responsible for what you don't know prior to, but you have to be open to different experiences and learn about different people. That doesn't mean that you're going to be fully aware and you're going to be woke within five minutes, but you have to be open to the process of learning that you are privileged and, I, and, and embracing and understanding what your privilege is. And I try to do that every day in my space. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've not been impoverished for a while now, but I still recognize that um, I once was, but I'm not anymore. So even if I'm trying to design something, think about something that uh, has to do or people who are experiencing poverty, I don't try to design it because I've been impoverished for for a while. So I still mm. kind of know what that's like, but kind of sort of not. But I want to be aware of my own positionality right. as it pertains to these spaces. And I think you just have to constantly be honest with yourself as you go along. That's so interesting. I mean, even that it, everything that you've come from that you know enough in that to say, I'm not there, I'm not the one who should speak to that solution right now, I gotta pull people into the room who, who are there. Yeah, That's amazing, I mean, I think that's maybe a viewpoint that only comes from having had people make decisions for you when you weren't in the room exactly. for so long that you know how important I mean, it is. You think about the, the systemic and institutional like racism that we have here and how um, we have like, like a lot of things that just get passed down and systems that are in place that really hold people down, mm-hmm. so like, um, you know, we have processes that don't give people dignity. I've been subject to all those things. I've, you know, my mom and I, we've been in line for like, for food stamps. And we stood in line for a long time. We get to the front and we find out we don't have what we need. And, right. you know, when you experience these things, to me, um, struggle has been my best education. And I know that, you know, I'm not saying everybody should struggle, but it's really opened my eyes. And constantly, um, that's why I'm, I'm constantly trying to get better and learn about, you know, how other people are what they're going through and how I can be helpful, but not in a savior type of way, but yeah. understanding what, that our liberation, we're all tied together through yeah. that. So if you take the mode of connection uh, as opposed to savior, being a savior, it changes things for people as well. Was that, um, you said that you were sort of always 
you volunteering for PG's campaign and then you ended up doing what you're doing now mm. was not a departure for you. It wasn't like when you were at Duke Energy, you were just completely ignoring social issues. No. And then all of a sudden you had some woke moment and mm -hmm. you were like, okay, I'm going to devote my life to it. You were always doing that stuff. For sure. Um, what did that look like for you? You talked about marching and things like that, but how, how was that different for you now than it is then? What were the struggles that were involved in getting and keeping and being taken seriously at that job different than they are uh, in the same questions now? I mean, there's some similar. As a black woman, by default, you're always, not always, I shouldn't speak in absolutes, you're almost always assumed to know less than people in the room. That happened at Duke Energy. That happened, uh, it happens in politics, even yeah. working as PG's chief of staff, people would come into the office and I handled the schedule. People would come in and they would automatically start, they would assume I was just there to answer the phone. They would automatically, they would start talking to, you know, one of my colleagues, mm -hmm. white male in, in the room and, and I would listen to everything they had to say and then I would make them repeat everything they had to say <laughs> because I wouldn't stop them. I would just let, let them go on and then have them repeat everything and act like I didn't, I didn't hear. So I had some, sometimes I had fun with it. Yeah. Um, and so I would love those type of moments. But it's difficult in the weight of being both black and being a woman. Uh, it's something that it's, I think is a play um, for colored girls that consider suicide when the rainbow isn't enough. And one of the quotes is, um, being black and being a woman is a metaphysical dilemma I've yet to conquer. And that's wow. one of my favorite quotes because it's true. I mean, it's just ongoing. And uh, even when we think about the Me Too movement, the woman who started the Me Too movement was a, was a black woman and she didn't even make the cover of the magazine. Right. So there's this constant, um, you know, battle just for uh, dignity and, and taking your place. And so, it's been, while I'm, we're in the era of, of Trump, which is a very disgusting uh, human being, but at the same time, it's a weird time in our society because the level of consciousness for a lot of people has been, it's been yeah. raised because of him and because of, you know, they're so, uh, like, you know, not for everybody, but a lot of people are like, I'm so sad that he's the president. What can I do to be helpful? Yeah. They're open to learning. So it's a very weird and strange time. But I say all that to say that black women um, in politics, we've been the most... Uh, um, uh, faithful and largest voting demographic uh, for the Democratic Party, in this country really, but the Democratic Party specifically for a long time. And so people are just starting to recognize that uh, after a long time. And that's even why I decided to get in politics in the first place. Yeah. So it's interesting, like with the victory of um, uh, Jones down in uh, yeah, Alabama. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, that was all black women. Black women, but we knew that all along. I mean, yeah. you think about the, the, the election of Donald Trump where 98% of black women uh, voted for Hillary Clinton as opposed to 56% mm -hmm. of white women who voted against their, their own interests. Right. So black women have been like the, I think, the moral consciousness for this country for a long time, and we're starting to finally get recognized, but not in the way that we should, because it's like, oh, yeah, black women, but they stopped quite short of, um, you know, giving us promotions. Giving you the positions of power to make the decision. Exactly. We've yeah. shown that we are solid decision makers. I mean, not in a monolithic way, but... Yeah. Uh, in, by and large, we're, you know, in general, we're a, a strong, uh, smart, we're most educated group, too, mm -hmm. in terms of, like, percentage of having college degrees, but we just stopped short of, of handing over the reins to help make those decisions. So I think about that, and you talk about my every day. That's something I, you know, I've only been in City Hall for a few days, but that's something I think about every day when I go into City Hall, even how I, you know, put my staff together yeah. is mostly women, um, very uh, purposely. What is the makeup of the city council in Cincinnati right now? So it's very cool. It's very cool and, and not so cool in some ways. There's five of us who are millennials, mm -hmm. uh, which is really nice to think about. I think uh, Greg, I give him a hard time. He's 41, but I still pull him into the millennial <laughs> space. Um, so we have five millennials. Um, we only ha we have two women, which I think is not not good considering mm -hmm. that we're 50 percent of the population. Yeah. 
Uh, so two women's, me and Amy Murray. And then there are, um, let's see, it's me, um, Jeff Pastor, Wendell Young, uh, and Christopher Smith, and there's four African-Americans mm-hmm. um, on council. So in the breakdown, party-wise, is, um, there's, there's six Democrats, two Republicans, uh, three Republicans, essentially, but yeah. two Republicans and one independent. How representative is that mix of the population in Cincinnati right now? Not very. I think we need uh, more women on mm-hmm. council for sure. Uh, I think we need people with more diverse backgrounds. Um, you know, we, I, I really, you know, the, the, again, going back to the, the process of running for office, you have to have a lot of money to run for office. Yeah. And the reason I was able to do this is recognizing my privilege of having a job at Design Impact who really embraced and, and, and pushed me to do this. So I had a job that welcomed this. I have a, a partner who makes good money so that you know, when I couldn't work, right. she, she paid all the bills. You know, I don't have any children. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of privilege that I had to even do this. So I would love to see uh, more diversity, um, even um, not just color, but you know, diversity of experiences and people, more people who've experienced poverty uh, like me and even in the throes of it right now to yeah. run for office. But uh, like I said, I just, I wish politics um, weren't so uh, entrenched with money. We had to raise um, $125,000, which uh, is unheard of for a first time African-American candidate. And the thing I'm most proud of is that 60% of our donors have never given to anybody. That was, that was the first time right uh, contribution for a lot of folks. But I would like to see um, that happen. And I would love to see more neighborhoods represented. Like, I think I'm the first person, I think, ever who's lived in Camp Washington mm-hmm. to be elected to um, city council, which I'm proud of. But there's a lot of other communities who need um, representation because they're all at large seats. Yeah. But we have too many council members that, like, live downtown or live in High Park or Mount Lookout. I would like to see some other communities represented. Yeah. What do you do about that? Um, you know, obviously there's a million things you could now that you're on the city council mm-hmm. and it's your job to, you know, to some degree to represent a broader constituency. Um, you know, I guess in one sense, like what are your, what are your issues? What is your, your platform issues? But then day to day, like what do you do to make it more possible for people like you yeah. to be on council in the future? Great, great questions. On the, on the micro level, mm-hmm. how do I leverage my privilege? How do I leverage my networks to do that? And I've already kind of started doing that. I'm creating uh, later this year um, kind of an, a, not, I, don't, I don't know what to call it quite yet, but basically I want to train other women mm-hmm. uh, to run for office. What I found was that there's a lot of women who have great ideas. Uh, they are really smart. They really have the heart for this, but they don't understand how politics work. And that's the unfortunate part for me. I had privilege in that I worked in this space before, so I knew how to raise money. I knew how to create a campaign plan. I knew about strategies. And for a lot of people who are not in the space, they can't do that. So I'm, I want to leverage my knowledge and my network to help make that happen. Mm-hmm. On more of a macro level, I think it's um, engaging in community and pe- educating and, and helping people understand more what city council does. So one of my ideas in terms of my platform is taking uh, city council to more community. So over the course of our four-year term, I want to have at least one full council meeting in every single community. I think for a lot of people, they don't know all the functions of city hall. I had a lot of my friends who they voted, they're the same age as me, uh, mid, late 30s. They've voted in presidential elections, but a lot of them said this is the first time yeah. they've ever voted in a, in a local election is because of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's not that they're not engaged, it's just they don't really understand or make the connection. So for me, it's a lot of education and connecting people and empowering those communities to know that they have representation. That's a, that's a big thing for me is engaging with communities who 
quite frankly, have been left behind. Mm-hmm. Right now in Cincinnati, depending on where you live, your life expectancy is longer or shorter. Yeah. And those are the communities who don't have the resources that they need to thrive. So part of my job and part of my mission is to help those communities connect to city resources, not necessarily dollars, although that's a huge part of it. They have to have capital, but connect them to how the city runs and how the city works so that they can at least have their interest peaked and be more engaged. Think back a little bit to like when you were a kid, you know, high school, when you're going to college mm-hmm. or whatever. If you talked to that version of Tamaya right now, would you be surprised of, of where you are and what your path has, has ended up at so far? A little. I've always been, uh, like, I remember, like, this sounds really corny, but I remember being in fourth grade and, like, elected to student council. Yeah. And that was really big for me. You know, like, I told my mom I wanted to run for student council, and she was like, okay, like, I don't know what that means, but, you know, (laughs) go for it. And so early on, I kind of, like, caught the leadership bug. Yeah. Um, So there is, at some point, you know, I I look back on, like, my yearbook, and I had some of my classmates write that I was going to be the first, you know, black woman president. Um, some said the first black plenty, president. Plenty of time left. Obama, Obama beat me to the first <laughs> black president, but there's still hope for me in the, the women's space. Oh, yeah. But so some things surprised me, but not everything. The, the fact that I am, um, I've, I've evolved in my thinking. Um, I used to uh, not be as conscious as I am about a lot of things. Mm. So there's, yeah, and, and my confidence, I think, has grown. I wasn't really? always confident when I was younger. Confidence is everything. And I don't know what happened when I turned 26, but I used to think that, like, I didn't want to be mean. And so I learned mm. when I was about 26 years old that you can be assertive without being mean. So one of, one of the first things that people will say about me is that if, they'll, they'll say I'm nice. And I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Initially, I was like, uh, you know, I, I, want, I don't want to be seen as a mean person. But one thing somebody taught me, uh, Mama Sittenfeld, she said, it's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. Wow. So that's something I think about all the time. So even in my interactions and when I don't, dis- when I don't agree with someone, when I disagree, I always try to be kind. Mm-hmm. And so I'm happy about that and want always to, to keep that no matter what. Because yeah. sometimes it's, it's not easy to do when you work in politics. You know, you get trolls. But yeah. above all, always be kind. So there are certain mm-hmm. parts of my life that surprise me. Um, but some that don't. I, I fully expect it to succeed and fully expect it to to do well. I just thought maybe I'd be like a, I didn't think it was going to be in politics necessarily. Um, in 2008, I kind of got bit by the Obama bug yeah. and kind of really, I always loved politics, but I really doubled down in my love for politics. Right on. Because of him or because of just like, I mean, was it something he said or was it just everything that was in the water at the time? I think it was a little bit of both. Like I remember like I, I, at that point when Obama was elected the first time, I I never contributed to a political mm-hmm. campaign before. I was in my mid-20s, late, mm-hmm. mid-late 20s. And I had never donated to a campaign before. I never volunteered for a campaign before. Yeah. I always read, but actually taking the next step to actually getting involved. Yeah. So I was knocking on doors for him. I was not contributing a whole lot of money. It was $25 a month, but it was like, that was huge for me. Yeah. Um, and he made that $25 feel like it was like the, the most, you know, the, the biggest gift in the world, which was huge right. for me. Right. So yeah, things that he said, like, you know, we're the change that we've been waiting for and being inspired by his speech at the DNC in 2004. Mm-hmm. And then I remember um, even on the campaign trail when I got like grew weary and tired and didn't feel like I wanted to knock any more doors. Um, I, I still go back to this day. About once or twice a month, I listen to his speech after the Iowa, his win at the mm-hmm. Iowa caucus. That kind of gives me life right on. Uh, someday. So, yeah, that definitely, it was stuff in the water. But then also after he was elected, there were more black commentators on 
television. There were more black political pundits on television. And even after he's gone, because initially they just had them on there talking about Obama, but now that he's not in, in office anymore, they're still on there. And I think that's definitely a direct effect of um, Barack Obama. As you look forward at politics, I mean, it's interesting. I didn't really plan to ask you this, but like thinking ahead, I think it was your comment about like, you know, being the first black female president, which my money's on you if it's on, on anybody. But um, there's a lot of people who, uh, and I think this goes across racial and economic divides, who have removed themselves from the process because they say it's all messed up. There's nobody, there's nobody in there who's not in there for the money or for mm-hmm. the power. If there's anybody who puts the lie to that, it's you and what you bring to the table. But I mean, as you look forward and what you've learned, Cincinnati city politics are no different from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't want to like get into it and all of that, but no, I don't um, want to either. there's people with, with great hearts who are doing good things on one side, who on the other side are being accused from people or of being, uh, uh, you know, too much cronyism. And then you get to the point where even people have said about Obama, as great as he was at a lot of stuff, there's no way that you can get to that level in political discourse without being compromised on some level. Like, what do you what do you think about all of that, and what do you think about that as you as you sort of envision and map out a future for yourself? The only thing I think about every day is how do I show up as my best self, hmm. and that's what I can focus on. And so, I agree. There's a lot of that that kind of talk um, with folks, but uh, I, I got into this um, to to make change, um, to make a difference, and I think uh, like even thinking about our our campaign. Hmm. So not to keep going back to the campaign, but. Yeah. We were the most endorsed candidate on the campaign, and while the no, having the most endorsements is really cool, I think more um, importantly for us is the, the broad reach of our campaign. So we had um, really left-leaning organizations like Our Revolution. I was the only uh, nationally um, uh, endorsed Our Revolution candidate in Cincinnati, right. and I can tell you that a lot of the council members that are serving with me applied uh, for that, but I was the only one that came out of that. Awesome. At the same time, I also was in uh, one of the Chamber of Commerce's top nine. Mm-hmm. And one thing I always promised myself and my team is that we're going to be the same person in every single room with everybody. And that's what I can't control. I don't say different things to different people. I don't, um, you know, do one thing in, on one side and do another. That's what I can't control, and that's what I'll always continue to do. Will I make, will I make mistakes? Of course. Um, will I... Um, you know, bump my head a few times, as I certainly will, but one thing that no one will ever be able to question about me is my authenticity mm-hmm. and my desire to um, make things right for everybody. So there is a lot of, you know, um, entrenched partisan relationships here in Cincinnati, but my goal is to make, you know, work for everyone. So if I'm making a decision, you better believe I'm making a decision based on what I believe and from my perch. And it's going to be informed because I'm not an expert. So one thing I pride myself on is I'm always trying to, okay, what's going on? Who are the experts in this space? I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a subject matter expert, but I always want to make the best decision. And those decisions are going to be informed by the people who are impacted. So I don't know how far I'll go in politics. I had told my team um, that, you know, we might have a really good one term and I'm okay with that if we really get some things done I'm not yeah we're gonna make the most out of it but um, you better believe that uh, this this you know four-year term that Cincinnati's have given to me Mm -hmm. I don't take it lightly and we're gonna make some things happen I've already uh, last night uh, Greg and I have been we wrote down our um, our list of policy wishes the things that we want to get done Hmm. some of them are long term like four years some of them can be in the next six months but I'm there to work and, and move the needle and when there's discourse 
at City Hall. The people who suffer the most aren't the people at City Hall. It's the people who are being left out of the yeah. process. So I can't lose sight of that. I won't lose sight of that. Every day I look at my mom, you know, I won't lose sight of that. She doesn't know when she can retire, you know, because, you know, she doesn't have the money to retire. And we have discussions to this day about, you know, making sure that her rent's paid. So I'm not too far removed from, right. you know, um, struggle. Yep. So I think, not that I want my mom to struggle or anything like that, but as long as I'm having those conversations with her, as long as I'm looking her in the eye and I'm, you know, getting up in the mirror and looking at myself in, you know, in, in, in the eye, in the mirror, I have to make sure that I'm doing this for the right reason. The moment, the very moment I feel like I'm not doing this for the right reason, the moment I feel like I'm not serving people the way they should be served is the moment that I don't work in politics anymore, and I promise right. that. Tell me, uh, we got a, l a little bit of time left, and I kind of want to um, ask you the question that I ask everybody because I'm, I'm still fascinated by that. Tell me about your days right now. Like, so you and I met the first time at Design Impact, mm -hmm. um, which if, if people don't know is an amazing organization in Cincinnati that they should look up that does great work. And Absolutely. as you said, kind of made space for and facilitated your campaign and all of that. You, are, uh, you were just sworn in how many days ago? Uh, four days ago, five days ago. Okay, so this is super recent. You're yeah. right in the middle of a huge trans transition in your working and professional life. Yeah. Tell me uh, like nuts and bolts. What are you doing? What are your days? I would imagine when, when we, we scheduled this, like we said, we started talking before you won. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of me is a little bit surprised that you still have the time to do it because mm -hmm. I would imagine there's a million things going on for you yeah. right now. So tell me a little about what's going on in your life. It's a little overwhelming, I'll be honest with you. The, like if the, the night that we won, I had people at our party scheduling meetings and you know telling me the things that they Boom. wanted me i mean literally after starting I, gun goes off exactly so at yeah. that moment after my speech someone pulled me in the corner wow. I was like, okay i need you to do these these things it's it's like i'll be honest with you this week has been slightly overwhelming mm -hmm. on thursday i went to work at di um so i'm still keeping my job mm -hmm. in a very in a limited way i'll be working a few hours a month right on um, but i really love what i do and i'm blessed to work with such amazing folks so mm -hmm. i'm gonna keep my job uh, the, the, after the swearing in, the very first day at City Hall was transition stuff, getting our, you know, our computers hooked up and mm -hmm. ordering our business cards. And we've already started handling constituent issues. So that's been pretty, pretty cool. Um, so it's every day I'm either um, giving speeches or I'm uh, setting up meetings to learn more about something. I have a committee that I'm chairing is called um, Inclusion, Equity, Inclusion, Youth in the Arts. So mm -hmm. it's Formerly the Human Services um, Committee, I didn't like the name Human Services, so I changed it. Uh, and we included some things, we changed a few things, we added inclusion to it, mm -hmm. we added LGBT issues, uh, refugees and immigrants are also added into that. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm learning a lot right now. There's some things I know a lot about, there's some things I don't know a lot about. Affordable housing is also in there, and, and homelessness, so there's a lot happening in our city right now. So I'm in the mode right now where I have four to five meetings. I've learned that five meetings a day or about my breaking point. Um, I can't take in more information beyond that. I learned that the other day. My chief of staff looked at me and she said, you hit your capacity. Yeah. I said, yeah, I hit my meeting capacity. Meeting number six, you just. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's different when you're like having breakfast meeting, but when you're actually like I'm learning and yeah. taking in information about five meetings a day or my capacity. I had a great meeting the other day with Chief Isaac, Cincinnati Police Department uh, chief, and learning more about that. I'm very much into social justice and I'm um, an un unapologetically Black Lives Matter candidate. So there's some issues I have with the police department and how they do work, but I've never been a police officer, so I'm, I have to learn about their process. And anything that I, any ideas I have, they would have to be engaged. Mm. So I'm, I'm a believer that whether I'm 
in your space or not. Or I'm not a police officer. I respect the jobs that they do. They do a difficult job. But if I'm going to make change or if I have propo proposals to make change, they have to be informed and be a part of that. So that's what my weeks are like, my days are like right now. A lot, a lot of meetings. Um, and also, we've committed to stay, stay engaged with the community. So one thing I ran on was, you know, I'm here now, but after I get elected, I'm not going to disappear. Mm -hmm. So trying to mix the meetings where we're learning, but also the meetings where we're engaged. And like I said, giving a lot of speeches and going places and sitting down with folks. And I tell people all the time, if you invite me to your space, I don't have to give a speech. I'm very good to just sit back and like just be there. Mm -hmm. So I think they have to unlearn that too about me. I'm a different kind of politician. I don't have to always be the person that's talking. I like to, to learn. So that's what it's like now. I don't know what next week will bring, I'll yeah. be honest with you. But what I do want to do is I've taken those policy ideas and they're going to be front and center on my wall every day. So no matter how the day pulls me, no matter how the day goes, I'm going to do something that gets me closer to accomplishing our policy goals. Every day I commit to doing that, um, no matter what, uh, how crazy or where the day brings me. So one of the, one of the things I've learned is I got to drive today. I can't let the day drive me. I'm learning that fast because it's, it's been driving me and I say, hold on, I got to pump the brakes a little bit. <laughs> yeah, stay in control a little bit, keep yeah, it in front of you. It's a lot. I mean, because it really, the campaign was tough, but this is really where the hard work starts. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of the learnings I'm talking, talking about, but there's the tactical stuff. I worked at City Hall before, but like learning where to go when you have an idea, like right. how does this policy get from being, a piece, you know, something on my notebook to actually becoming a law and policy? How do you work with your you know, colleagues to make that happen, not just your council colleagues, but the administration, the city manager, the law department. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that are moving parts that are happening at one time. And then how do I also become engaged? I've been in uh, Kent, Washington for about 18 months now, so I haven't lived here very long. And there's a lot of things I don't know about Kent, Washington. So I don't want to be in Hyde Park and in College Hill and I don't know Cal and the amazing work that's happening at the Wavepool Gallery. So there's a lot of things happening at the same time, but I'm, I'm grateful for it all. I remember when I pray for days like this, so I'm happy. Right on. And you don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee. I don't need to drink coffee. I would be bouncing off the walls if I had coffee. You wouldn't like me if I had coffee. What, of the stuff that you've done before, and I'm as far back as you want to go, from your childhood, from educational experiences, uh, your business degree at UC, the international uh, travel abroad and study work that you did, mm -hmm. uh, your time at Duke Energy, like, what has prepared you most for the different aspects of at least what you know the job to be right now? I think everything. It sounds crazy, but I think if I had to pinpoint one thing, it's experiencing, you know, um, difficulty growing up, either economical or, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I'm one of those people who think that um, every, everything happens for a reason. And so, you know, even when you experience something bad, there's a lesson to be learned there. So... You know, when I'm in a, talking to, I was just at a community action agency, and there was a, a group of young people um, in a program that um, kind of were, I don't want, they were just kind of rejected. They didn't, you know, a lot of them didn't finish high school. Mm -hmm. um, the, the commencement ceremony where I spoke was the only commencement ceremony that they'll have. Um, while I, I, I did well in school, a lot of their struggles were struggles that I shared yeah. at one point. I, you know, I had teachers who told me I wasn't going to amount to anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I have. Have you written all them since you? you know, I have just in? because I'm petty. Um, <laughs> I have uh, done that. I actually have one. One of my teachers who told me I wasn't gonna amount to anything when I was 40 under 40 in a business career. I actually sent her a copy of it. Good for just you. to let her know. That's um, fantastic. Just because I'm, I'm, I still have my petty ways. But um, I love it. But I do a lot of a lot of the struggle that I've had, a lot of things that I've I've experienced. Uh, they all got me here. Mm -hmm. um, working at Duke, and I think that's why I got a 
a high rating from the Chamber of Commerce. They even know it. They, they said it to me. We know you're not going to be on our side every time. Hmm. And they're right about that. Mm -hmm. But they know I'm going to be thoughtful. Yeah. Um, you know, having this, uh, national, the endorsement from the Association of Social Workers, they understand that, you know, I'm going to make the best decisions for people who are, um, the, who people call the least of us. But mm -hmm. for me, it's, again, um, understand that uh, who I am at different parts of my journey, I represent all those folks. Mm -hmm. So I'm never, I'm never going to lose sight of that. I remember being the person who, I remember when I, uh, a few years ago when I was trying to write to a lot of people to, it's probably like five or seven years, five, seven years ago, and I was interested in joining a lot of programs here in Cincinnati. People didn't write me back, didn't email me back. Those same people now are like, you know, want to grab meetings with me, want right. to grab lunch. So I am very, very conscious to try to make sure I answer every single email, every single phone call. People who people won't meet with, I'll meet with them. People, you'll never have difficulty having a meeting with me, one, because it's the right thing to do, but, but two, because I remember what it's like to not have your phone yeah. calls returned to people waiting for you to be somebody. Um, so all those things um, I take into account every day. Um, so, and being accessible is really important to me because of that. Yeah. So everything has contributed to, you know, the, the, the fullness and the, the wholeness that I am now and just making sure I always kind of tap into that. Um, a lot of times people say, well, you can't, we were talking a little bit about the hierarchy. Well, you can't uh, you know, self-actualize until you have your physiological needs met. Well, sometimes that's not, that's not true. People need to have their souls fed. Even if they can't eat, even if they are mm. having difficulty putting food on the table, they still need their souls fed. I know that because I was that person. You know, mm. it, There is a hierarchy, but sometimes we have to, those hierarchies are sometimes um, um, viewed through like the social and, and, and middle class norms and not really understanding what everyday people go through. So I'm a culmination of, all those things, and I remind myself of that every day. I'm always yeah. going to be that person, those people. You're somebody um, who's gone from, a lot of people think about, I want to do meaningful work. I'm stuck in a corporate job or a dead-end job. I want to find something that really fulfills my passion. You've made a transition now, and it came at, at a cost. Yes, it did. That $14,000 was difficult to look at at yes, the start. Yes, absolutely. How do you think about work? Has that, has that transition changed how you, and I mean that in terms of like, work can mean different things to people. It can mean vocation. It can mean your job and how you pay the bills. It can mean your life's work and the work that you bring your energy to. Like, what does that word mean for you right now and how has it changed over the last few years? It, it used to mean, how do I put food on the table? Mm -hmm. It used to mean like just getting up and doing something and going someplace and then coming home, you know, waking up to buy the food, to get the energy to dig the ditch, to get up and buy the food, to yep. dig the ditch. That's kind of how I thought about it before. But I think for me now, uh, it's more like I'm thinking about mission and, mm. and, and, and purpose more so than work. And wherever that mission or purpose leads me, I didn't set out necessarily to run for office. That was kind of where it led me because I worked in politics and I saw how people in the African-American community were treated by politicians in a really transactional way and people in general, but particularly African-American community. So um, I wanted to be, I wanted to show what that could look like. Mm -hmm. So wherever the mission, my mission is to uh, make sure that no matter who you are, who you love, where you live, what your race is, what your religion is, if you have a religion, that you are respected and valued. And wherever that takes me is where I'm willing to go. That's where my work is. Excellent. Tamaya Denard, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, it's been exciting 
watching what's happened just in the past few months, watching your campaign. I can't wait to see what comes uh, from your time in office. And I really appreciate with all that's going on in your life right now and taking the time to hang out with us for a little while. Thank you for having me. This episode of The Distiller Podcast was recorded live at Wavepool Gallery, a contemporary art fulfillment center at 2940 Coleraine Avenue in Camp Washington in Cincinnati, Ohio. Thanks again to Tamaya Denard for joining us on the show. It really was an honor, and we're excited to see not only what Tamaya does on the council in coming months and years, but what she does in a political career that's obviously just getting started. Check out this episode's page at thedistillerpodcast.com for links to Tamaya's website, social media pages, so you can keep in touch with her. And we've also linked to Design Impact, where Tamaya and I first met. Check out the work they're doing, not just in Cincinnati, but around the country to address problems of inequality in some really innovative ways. Special thanks again to uh, Cal Curran of Wavepool as well for hosting us. Stop by Wavepool and check out all they're doing, including the gallery, studio spaces, and they actually even have a residency program there, meaning that artists live and work on site. It's really cool. Go to wavepoolgallery.org to learn more or find that link on our website as well. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson, with co-production and booking from Terry Heist. We're mixed by Justin Golden. Our logo was designed by Scott Ryan and videos by Mike Helm. You can find The Distiller on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also download episodes, find links and info, including photos of the guests and locations, and information on how to get in touch with us at thedistillerpodcast.com. You can suggest people you think should be on the show to talk about their search for meaningful work, or you can let us know if you think there's somewhere interesting we should record the show or something interesting we should drink while doing it. It's all at thedistillerpodcast.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.